We are now going to get into our series from murderer to missionary. So prepare your hearts, get your notebooks and pens ready, and let's get ready to hear a word from God this morning. Church. My name is Nate, and I just want to say, now that we're in the last week of this series, I have no idea what the guy is saying in that video. I feel like an old man who's lost like uh, different uh, different wave frequencies of hearing. And I asked Jeremy a couple weeks ago, "What is he saying?" And he told me. And I still, it just sounds like he's just like we found some mumbling guy in a prison cell and then recorded him. Anyway, I'm glad to get that off my chest. I've been thinking about that since before. I've been trying to figure that out since before this series started when they showed it to me the first time. Um, first off, to all of our locations uh, here joining us in Dover, to everybody in Plymouth and everybody in Milton, I want to welcome all of the brand new sixth graders who get to hang out with us for the first time today. We are glad you're here. So it's, it's a big deal. First off, I'm funnier than, uh, than, than Pastor Rob, than Colin or Lisa, all right? So, um, so you've got that, that's gonna be good for you. I t- sometimes we talk about inappropriate things and you're gonna go home and depending on uh, the process your parents are raising you on, you're gonna be like, what was the pastor talking about? And they're gonna wish you were still a fifth grader. And, and then, this is kind of a big thing. You don't have to just come in and sit, all right? You can participate. Get a Bible, bring a Bible. We'll give you one for free if you don't have one. Bring your phone, use the Bible app on your phone. Pay attention and follow us. So you're gonna learn a lot about God and Jesus in the years to come. <laughs> and uh, you can also get involved. So if you haven't already joined the volunteer team, you can. Uh, there's different spots you can, you can serve. Uh, helping make coffee in Dover, serving on cameras, other locations, serving, serving on tech, even serving on the band if, uh, if you've got the skills uh, to audition and, and the skills to be able to serve there. So jump in, get involved. This is your church. It's not your parents' church. This is your church. And so we're glad to have you here today. And I'm really excited to see what God does in your life this year. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we've been in this series and talking about a guy from the Bible uh, whose name was Paul. Very, very significant person in the history of Christianity. So he was a real guy. The Bible is not a fiction story. Um, it is not just a history book either, though there's a lot of history in there. It is 
It is a supernatural book, a group of books. There's 66 different books in the Bible, and it is supernatural. So just reading it every day transforms us inwardly in our life, um, which is surprising, all right? So sometimes you read a book on, on, uh, on anger management or on weight loss or on being a better driver. It doesn't translate into you uh, having a better temper, uh, to you losing weight or you becoming a better driver. But when you read God's word, it transforms you. You don't read it and then transform yourself. So a pretty amazing thing. So sixth graders, if you haven't already, begin to read it every day. And uh, and adults, if you haven't begun to do it, begin to read it every day and let Jesus do his work in you through his word. So in this series, as we've been talking about Paul, we've been looking at his life. And today we are coming to the end of his life and And I want to read part of uh, something he wrote in one of his letters. It was the first letter written to Timothy, which is why this is called First Timothy. And I want you to read, as he knows he's coming to the end of his life, something that uh, something that he shares with all of us. So he he writes this to Timothy and to the church in verse, uh, starting at verse number six. As for me. My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've, we're in 2 Timothy. I apologize for telling you 1 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. One kind of quick thought right there, which maybe we don't always realize, is a lot of understanding about the judgment of God. And some people hate that, some people reject that, um, but, uh, and some people are fearful of that. That one day, God will judge you for the evil deeds you've done. What Paul is referencing here is not that. What he's talking about is the judgment for every believer. And the judgment for every believer is this award ceremony where he rewards you according to your faithfulness and the, and the works that you've done for him. If you're following Jesus, there's no fear of a judgment day what you have to look forward to is an award ceremony. And we have the opportunity um, in this life to earn up some crowns of righteousness, to earn up different other things that are in scripture. And uh, we won't dive into that right now, but just for you to know that. So Paul, he knows he's coming to the end and and he's, he's not afraid of meeting Jesus face to face again. He knows that he's done what Jesus has told him to do. So in scripture, it doesn't talk about Paul's execution. And so let's talk a little bit about that. How do we know he was martyred? How do we know he was killed for his faith? And, um, and, and kind of where do we get that? So it's not recorded in scripture. The book of Acts kind of ends with this 
report that then Paul was in prison in Rome for two years and then it just ends. So a lot of people assume, well, it ends because he was martyred and, and there's even some different things that, that lead to some other conclusions. And I'll talk about those in a moment. But the, the, uh, historically, the, um, I don't know why I'm losing my train of thought here. The, give me a moment, everybody, just give me a moment here. I should have had a second latte this morning, I think. His martyrdom isn't recorded in scripture, but it's recorded in the writings of those who followed the apostles. So one of those people is Clement. And Clement was the second, was the third or fourth person to lead the church after Peter. So Peter was one of the apostles, and he and Paul were both martyred, killed by the Roman government at about the same time in history between uh, 64 and 67 AD. When they died, then new leadership stepped in place and began to lead. So one of those was a guy named Linus, and then following after him likely was Clement. Clement is probably, possibly, the same guy that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter four, verse number three. So here's a guy that was discipled and led by Peter, and then when Peter is killed, he then begins to lead the church through about 99 AD. In his writings, and he has a writing where he also wrote a letter to the Corinthians, um, because even after Paul, after his letters to them, and there's other letters to the Corinthian church that, that we've lost, uh, Still, Clement had to write to them as well. They were a church that was in need of a lot of discipleship. But he wrote this in in his letter to Clement. He said, owing to envy, Paul also obtained the reward of endurance after being seven times thrown into captivity, compelled to flee and stoned. After both preaching in the East and the West, he gained the illustrious reputation due to his faith, having taught righteousness to the whole world and come to the extreme limit of the West and suffered martyrdom under the prefects. Thus he was removed from the world. He went into the holy place, having proved himself a striking example of patience. The timeline at the end of his life, uh, there's, there's, essentially two main things that are thought. One is he was in Rome for two years and then he was martyred at the end of it. The other thought is he was, he was in prison in Rome for two years. He was released where he then continued to travel westward where he brought the good news of Jesus to Spain. Some even believe he went and brought it as far as Great Britain where he then returned to Rome where he was arrested and then martyred. Neither of those affects our faith, but just a little bit of, of background on his history. But we know from, from Clement's writing and from other of the early church fathers that he, that he was martyred. Since Paul was a Roman citizen, he was protected from execution by the, from the brutality of crucifixion. Crucifixion is when you're nailed and hung on a cross, which is a long 
sometimes multi-day event where you slowly bleed and suffocate to death. You essentially drown uh, from fluid filling your lungs. Very brutal. Because he was a Roman citizen, he did not, he was not executed by crucifixion. He was beheaded. But Peter, who was an apostle, was crucified. And obviously Jesus, who was not a Roman citizen, was crucified. In this series, we've talked about his past before he followed Jesus, his conversion experience where he met, where he met Jesus, his preparation, his then his calling as he lived out multiple missionary journeys, and today we're looking at his commitment, his commitment to follow and pursue Jesus no matter what the cost. He had multiple missionary journeys where he traveled across Asia, Africa, and Europe, sharing Jesus and leading people from multiple ethnicities, from multiple language groups, leading them to know Jesus. And the one thing that this reminds us, and the one thing that we don't ever want to forget, is Jesus doesn't just save people who look like me. And whatever you look like, you can, you can attach it to that. He doesn't just save white men. He doesn't just save white women. He doesn't just save black men. He doesn't just save black women. He doesn't just save uh, Asians. He doesn't just save Jews, which is, again, something that they thought kind of initially. He saves everyone. He came for everyone. And he, and he loves us all. He loves us all equally and completely. Paul showed his commitment. We want to look at his commitment in three different areas. The first was his commitment to God. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Paul wrote this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul gave God his entire life, his entire life. It wasn't a part of his life that you could look at and say, Paul, when are you going to yield this to God? When are you going to allow God to speak into this? When are you going to be obedient to God in this area? He, he laid himself before God completely. He gave God access to his life completely. And even when it became difficult, he didn't take anything back. He remained committed to God. Have we done that? Have you done that? If you look at your life and evaluate your life, have you been committed to him with everything? You've committed your eternity to him, but have you committed your daily life to him? There's another group of people in history that, that miraculously changed and they went from murderers to missionaries and, and you might be familiar with them. In the 9th and 10th, uh, 10th century, they were known as the Vikings. And they're famous because they were brutal and they'd show up to an area and kill everybody and pillage it and then essentially go back home. But in the, in the 9th and 10th century, what began to happen is they begin to follow Jesus. And over the next really couple hundred years, their, their entire culture was changed as they became now a Christian culture. 
There's this story, uh, kind of a history, and it's hard to tell whether it's true or conjecture, but there's this story that when the Vikings became Christians, they would take that next step in following Jesus, which is water baptism. So water baptism doesn't give us salvation, but it's a public sign to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. And it's a big deal, and if you follow Jesus and you haven't done that, do that. It's, it's, it's a next step for you. And even if it's been 20 years, take that step. We get a water baptism coming up here in October. Sign up for that and participate in that. It's a public sign to the world. I follow Jesus. And the story is that when the Vikings were being water baptized, as they, they were uh, kind of uh, dunked under the water, they would have their sword in their hand and they would baptize everything but their hand and their sword. They would leave that part out of the water. They were kind of holding on to that part of their identity. So I yield myself to God, but I don't yield my sword. And we've, it's always important for us to evaluate ourselves, to look at scripture, to let God speak in our life and to say, is there a part that we won't let go of? Is there a part of our life that we won't commit to God? Sometimes it's a belief, a belief about ourselves. God will never love me. I know he'll save me, I know he'll forgive me, he'll never love me. You've gotta let go of that. You gotta let that part of your life be baptized too. Sometimes it's a career, sometimes it's just comfort. Sometimes it's something practical, you know. Um, sometimes it's a wallet. God, I baptize my whole life except for my finances. That part I'm gonna to keep to myself. Sometimes it's a keys to a mistress's apartment. God, I don't wanna give up that relationship yet. Sometimes it's a bottle, sometimes it's a substance, sometimes it's a habit, sometimes it's an attitude. When we yield our lives to God, we mistakenly think that God is, is stealing from us or trying to ruin things for us. But we've gotta trust God and know that his plans are always perfect and his calls to us are always better for us. And Paul was an example of this. He was committed to God he remained, uh, we haven't talked about this in this series, but he remained uh, single throughout his lifetime as he wasn't against marriage. He encouraged marriage, but he realized I can do more for God alone than I, than I can if I'm married. And so he even yielded that part of his, of his life, of his sexuality toward God. And he said, I'll remain celibate, I'll remain a virgin to, in, in order to bring your gospel to more places. He was committed. The second thing is that he was committed to the gospel. Gospel is a church word, but it means this, the good news of Jesus. He was committed to the good news of Jesus. In Galatians, which we're referencing a lot here today, so go ahead and stay at Galatians, uh, in Galatians, because we'll be talking about it again at another point, but in Galatians chapter two, there's this account of Peter, um, uh, of Paul, who we've been talking about, rebuking Peter, who is, uh, who, who is 
the, the head of the church. And what's begun to happen is they, because there was such, there was still a lot of tension here of trying to figure out how Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, how they were gonna merge together to be one church. We, we, can, we cannot understand from our perspective here 2,000 years later, how difficult this was for them, how many hours of prayer and negotiation and, and, uh, and, uh, and discussion and uh, the councils that they had trying to figure this out, making sure that they did what was honoring to God, not what was protecting themselves. So they had, they had come to a lot of agreements. Like, all right, here's, here's the... Here's the, the conditions for the Gentile believers, the non-Jew believers. They're going to abstain from sexual immorality and they're not gonna eat food that's been, uh, that's been uh, offered to idols. So those are the only two parts of the Jewish faith that they need to, that they need to make sure that they're living by. And what happens in the account we're about to read is Peter ends up showing up to Antioch. He's checking out the, the church there and beginning to meet the non-Jewish believers. He's seeing the work that Paul and Barnabas have done to establish the church. And he's eating with Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers. And he's eating with them and, and sharing meals with them as if he's not Jewish himself. He's just fully immersing himself into their, in, into their meals and into their time together. But later, when he's gathered together with a group of Jewish believers, he then begins to put on all those rules again. And Paul calls him out on this, and we're gonna read this. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? I just wanna take a quick time out right there. Um, every so often, there's a wave, you end up with a wave of Christians who begin to adopt Jewish traditions and Jewish law in their life. And they say to follow Jesus more perfectly, then you need to follow these Jewish laws as well. And you'll meet them, they, they still exist. Uh, they're kind of all over the place. This is a scripture for you. When you begin to feel like, maybe I'm less of a Christian because I don't have Sabbath day on Saturday, or I'm less of a Christian because I don't have a, um, a, a, a Passover Seder meal, or I'm less of a Christian because of whatever reason they tell you, because I say Jesus and not Yeshua. You begin, what you can begin to look at the scripture and say, wait, Peter discarded all of the Jewish laws, and Paul rebuked him for going against that here in the scripture. You can just be at ease. All right, I'm good here in this area. Yet we know, uh, verse number 15, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus, not, not by obeying the law. 
And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. He was committed to the good news of Jesus. He protected the good news of Jesus. He was beaten and attacked for coming against false teachers who were beginning to to lie about what the good news of Jesus was. And here he, he confronts the head of the church who's beginning subtly to live differently than he believed. We've talked a lot about doctrine in this series. Doctrine is, is our understanding of scripture. It is, uh, and, and we've gotta make sure we have right doctrine and not false doctrine. We've gotta make sure we have an understanding of a true gospel, not a false gospel. We cannot all just simply believe whatever we want about God. Scripture reveals God to us. And we study that, try to understand that, because otherwise, God's distorted by everybody's opinions and everybody's ideas, and we end up with a lot of false gods that we all call Jesus. We don't ever get to truly meet Jesus, the Son of God. The third thing for Paul is that he was committed to the church. And this is, I think this is interesting here because even after, I mean, there's a few things that happened in Paul's life, but he never gave up on the church. He never left the church. He never tried to start his own church. He was committed to it. Um, a friend of mine wrote on Facebook this week, uh, people don't leave faith, they leave the church. And she was just kind of talking about how, essentially talking about how she left the church. She's not even really gonna try to attend anymore if I understand her comments in the comment section um, correctly. Churches are imperfect. We're not perfect people. I'm not a perfect person. My wife and I don't have the perfect marriage or the perfect kids or the perfect life. Jesus didn't make us perfect, all right? We still have our flaws, and we talked about this in this series, but there's a process called sanctification, which means every day we're becoming more and more like Jesus. So what I look like now at 40 is, is, is different. How I act, my character is different at 40 than it was when I was 20. It'll be different when I'm 60. Because I'll be more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today, as long as I continue uh, allowing his word to transform my heart, as long as I continue to worship him. So we're not perfect. And within a church, you've got some people who, who've been Christians for 40 years, but they stopped following Jesus 20 years ago. And so they're nasty and they're mean. You have some people who've been following Jesus for about 20 minutes. And so they still swear and smoke in the parking lot and and, uh, and, and have multiple girlfriends or whatever because they've, they've only been following Jesus for a couple of minutes. So it's all brand new. The, that process of becoming Jesus has just started. And what happens, what, what I think one of the things my friend was saying is like churches don't act like the church. Well, what is the church? We're supposed to worship Jesus. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're supposed to defend the gospel, make sure that a false gospel doesn't sneak into our church. But then we care and love for each other. 
Churches are dynamic. Not every church is the same. Some have different gifts and skills and people. And so there's a lot, some have different styles and some are loud and some are quiet. Some are boring and some are not boring. And uh, there's all kinds of different things. But Paul was committed to it. And if we're as followers of Jesus, we're committed to it as well. As imperfect as it is, however we may have been hurt in the past or however we may be hurt in the future, we're committed to it. Look at about a couple of things that happened in Paul's life. Um, He was viewed with skepticism by church leaders, again, because he was murdering Christians. And so when all of a sudden when he says, I follow Jesus now, they were a little bit hesitant that he could have been lying to them. He suffered personal attacks from false teachers and their disciples. He was uh, intentionally misunderstood by Christians. They just didn't want to listen to what he was saying, and so they began to twist it and ignore it. He had disagreements with other Christians. He had one famous one with Barnabas that he was um, uh, that he, that was his, his his mentor and his, kind of his spiritual father. Uh, another one, obviously, the one I just read with Peter. He was disappointed by other Christians. He talks about being in prison and needing help and no one coming to help him. He talked about needing people to stand and defend him and no one stood up and defend him. Yet, he didn't say, I'm done with the church. I follow Jesus, but but I'm not part of the church. Uh, He doesn't say, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, just, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need those other people, a bunch of hypocrites. No, he was, he was committed to the church. And the church is not a building, right? The church is all of the people who gather together and worship Jesus together. Despite all those things that had happened to him, he calls the church, he uses this word, beloved, uh, a dozen times in scripture, in his letters. As he writes to the Corinthian church that he had to keep writing these letters to and bring correction. Uh, My beloved, I'm looking forward to being with you. He regularly calls other Christians brothers and sisters. And we're adopted in, now we're a family together. And he calls them saints as well. That once we've been, once we've given our life to Jesus, it's the resurrection it's in the righteousness of Jesus that is on our life, not our past. He was committed. I think, honestly, too often when we're having a hard time at church or with someone in church, our inclination is to speak negatively about them, to gossip about them, to criticize them, to form an alliance against them, that's why in history there's been church splits and church divisions and church fights and church closings. People have acted in, a, in an ungodly and unrighteous way. Paul didn't do that. Even when he confronts Peter, he confronts him in love. He confronts him to protect the gospel, but he stayed committed to it. He didn't start his own thing. He didn't come out from underneath and said, I'm tired of these guys. I'm going to be the leader of the church now. He was committed to it. And he tells the church 
in the book of Romans, outdo one another in showing honor. Committed, committed, committed to each other. This morning as I end the message, I just want to give you an opportunity. We're going to take a moment and close out our service in prayer. But it might be one of those times to say, all right, I, I've, I'm one of those people. I was following Jesus, but I have not grown in Jesus now for quite some time. And there's a part that I need to put under the water, a part of my life I need to get baptized and commit to him. Sometimes it's just a complete recommitment of our life to Jesus. Jesus, I, I gave you my life. I said you could do whatever I want, but I've taken it all back. I'm, I'm recommitting it to you now. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly and gentle, you, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Sometimes we end up getting involved in some things that looking back, we shouldn't have. Sometimes we end up doing some things and then we realize, oh, wait a minute, what I've been doing is sin. And a church full of the Holy Spirit doesn't respond to you in anger. They don't respond to you with accusation. They don't respond to you with pointed fingers. They respond to you with God's word and they respond to you with an altar. And they say, hey, let's give that area of our life back to Jesus. Let's let him forgive us, forgive you and change you. And the good news is Jesus paid for all of those sins on the cross. He forgives all of those sins right now as you confess them to him and his love for you hasn't changed. It's not like he has to learn to love you again. He loves you as much as he did when you gave your life to Christ. He loves you as much as he did when you were born. He doesn't love you any less. And we get that privilege of doing that together. Will you stand to your feet? I wanna close in prayer and then we'll sing in worship for just a moment. Jesus, I just pray for all of us as you've kind of revealed to us this morning some areas of our life that we haven't yielded to you or some areas of our life that we've taken back control. And I ask you right now in Jesus' name to forgive us, to bring light to those areas of our life. And I pray that we will honor you and be obedient to you and allow and just follow you into whatever you speak into us that we will trust you with our sword, we will trust you with our heart, we will trust you in our life. Right now, every single one of us, we, we, we recommit our lives to you. God, we're committed to you. One God, we commit our lives to following you. We commit our lives to the gospel. There is only one name by which men can be saved, the name of Jesus. There is only one way that people can get to heaven and it's through Jesus. We recommit ourselves to that. And we recommit ourselves to the church, these people that we're surrounded with and the church across the world. We commit ourselves to each other. When we give to kingdom builders, we're giving to other churches across the world. When we give in our time, we're recommitting 
to our church here as we join a circle and, and, and study the Bible together, as we serve on a Sunday, it's showing our commitment to the church as we worship, as we study our Bible, as we pray in our homes, showing our commitment to the church. May we never give up on each other. May we never give up on the reason you've assembled us together, but may we link arm in arm and go after what you've called us to do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing for a minute.